0: So Brad, big news today. We are recording basically on my birthday, Brad. It's oh, my birthday, and I got to tell you, I came up with a, an interesting thought that I want to talk to you about about cartooning, which is that I think in 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 what I only can describe as the most positive way of looking at it, I think as I get older, I'm realizing that I don't want to retire from cartooning. Yeah. That I don't I don't have in my you know sort of in the things that I fantasize about for the future. I don't have some golden future ahead of me that I'm like, once I get 75, then I'm retiring from comics, that kind of yeah. thing. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, do you remember, we talked about this a hundred years ago on Web Comics Weekly, where we, I, I think about this often, where we all talked about how our goal was to die at our drawing desk right yeah and since and since then i've backed off a little bit i don't think i necessarily want to die <laughs> at my drawing desk i i've got i've got a few other ways that maybe i'd like to go but uh but 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 uh, at the same time i i also don't necessarily think uh, that I'm, I, number one, I don't know that I'm going to be able to, or necessarily that I want to uh, retire at some point. I For the simple fact that this is something that, it, it isn't a sport. It isn't like uh, at some point our bodies aren't going to be able to do it. Right. Uh, this is something that I have noticed in myself that I've gotten better every year that I've done it. And I don't know that I'm going to be willing to stop at 65 yeah, I, you know I mean? said,
0: yeah. There's a there's a lot of things that go into it, but so I'm I'm turning 48 now, which I think we can all agree is the oldest that a human being can get. That's that. Yes.
1: There's no age older than 48. That is so uh, old. Uh, uh, believe me, there was a time I thought that too. I'm, I'm jealous that you're. I thought that you were further along than that. I'm actually jealous that you're only 48. It's going to be a couple of years that I can really get after you about being 50
0: is gonna hit me hard. I think I'm gonna have to take yeah. a, a trip to Mexico with my wife just to to, sal- to have salve the wound, basically. isn't that That's what, what you it did? took for me. That's I know, what that's, I know me. that's what I was joking I, about.
1: I, I told my I told my wife I don't mind turning 50, but I don't want to be here for it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so but but at 48, like one of the interesting things about about the birthday this year was A, I'm I'm not a big birthday person. Like I don't care yeah. if I have gifts. I don't care if I, I have a – and this is not in any way bragging, it's more of a sense of contentment. I have a try life i don't need a special day about me you know what i mean i like right. the day-to-day life that i live with cartooning and stuff like that so um uh, so i'm not a big birthday person but i was thinking this birthday that um not in a financial sense but in a happiness and contentment sense everyone that's older in my life that retired they lose a little oomph in their life at, yeah. after they retire something a, a tiny little spark goes out that is hard to
1: recapture. You know what I mean? And they start to get a little weird too. It <laughs> <Because laughs> starts sudden, to get a little weird. It's all all a little of a sudden, they got they got too much time on their hands, yeah. Yeah. and they they've got they they've kind of got nothing to do, with, and that's why like I always joke, you know, my dad still coaches girls bowling, and it's like, well, what what an odd sentence to say, you know, my dad coaches <laughs> yeah, girls bowling for high school, uh, but. Uh, And and he does other things, too. He golfs and stuff. But that that girls bowling league, especially during the long Michigan winters, keeps that guy completely focused. In fact, it's it's the it's the biggest thing that led towards him learning how to email and learning how to use the Internet. Uh, and YouTube and stuff like this, because he's always looking for bowling videos to to show technique to his girls and stuff. And he's emailing with other coaches. He's he's very, very sharp for, his, I don't want to say sharp for his age, because that sounds like a backhanded compliment. Right. But in his retirement, he's remained very, very sharp, uh, partially because he's got this thing to do.
0: Yeah. And I don't think it's an accident that, that Schultz, um, uh, rest his soul. Passed away like the day after his last yeah. Sunday ran. It, it, uh, I mean, you, you talked to Jeannie about it. And she's she's convinced that it was like it's not a and it's not an accident that that happened. Yeah. Um. But it, but you know he went basically as far as he could. I think physically draw right. and, and then called it. Um, but I really, what we do is so non-labor intensive that provided my hand and arm can still kind of function. Yeah. I think I would like to draw right up until the end. I think it's a, it's a wonderful outlet and, and it's a, I think it's a benefit to my overall life to maintain that creative aspect. Anyway, I don't know that that's a happy topic to start the show with, but I thought like how lovely to have something that you want to do until your final days, which is cartoon. Yeah.
1: No, I, I agree hundred percent. I, I, I agree and I and I think it's gonna be really interesting to check in on a on a Dave Kellett. A a older, wiser, seasoned Dave Kellett uh, in in his 70s, seeing what kind of jokes come out of that mind, what kind of (laughs) storytelling uh, comes out. Because I I think it's going to be an interesting process to compare young Sheldon comics to older Sheldon comics. You
0: know, I'm laughing at that because every once in a while, someone will send you or I some kind of isolated clip from Web Comics Weekly or, or, or the Blank Label Comics podcast from 20 years oh, ago or whatever, yeah. and A, we sound so young, but yeah. also it's it's funny to look back at the Dave or the Brad from back then and what their thoughts on cartooning were. would it yeah. be funny if 77-year-old Brad is like, fuck this noise, I'm lying down. No, I'm not cartooning <laughs> anymore. Let me rest, I'm old. <laughs> No more. What did Stifton Rad Well why was he trying to get me to draw till I died? No,
1: I want to watch my shows. <laughs> yeah, believe me. Believe me, there have been days like that just recently. <laughs> and on that note, I'm gonna say
0: hello everybody and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics.
1: And making a living from comics, I'm Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the cartoonist of Evil Inc.
0: And I'm his pal Dave Keller, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the documentary Stripped.
1: And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave, let's talk comics. Let's talk
0: comics, my friend. And just a reminder that this show is going out live right now to our Comic Lab Live Gab friends over at patreon.com slash comic lab. You can join us and watch the show live streaming every week at the $10 level on Patreon. And every show is archived, so if you miss the live taping, you can watch the video uh, recorded archive on the old archives there. And Brad, we gotta give a shout out to our sponsors of this week. Who is it, my friend?
1: Oh, it's it's uh, as always. It's our good friends down at Wacom. That's w a c o m dot com, the makers of the powerful professional portable Wacom One.
0: Well, you said down at uh, Wacom. I think they're technically up at Wacom, aren't they? Based in Seattle, I I toured Uh, their uh, facilities once, which were lovely, by the way. I you're absolutely right. It was either Seattle or Portland. It was some northeast northwestern city. I'm thinking it was Seattle. Yes, it was Seattle. Yes. No, wait, was it Portland? Oh God, now I don't remember. Oh, welcome. I'm so sorry. You have beautiful offices regardless. You do know, whatever you are. What I will say is it was a beautiful office and they were very kind and generous, and very nice. And uh in their welcome. Uh I'm not, now I'm thinking it was Portland. It was Portland. It was Portland. I'm, <laughs> Oh, wow. oh my god. So Brad, I'm retiring from comics. That's what this you know, announcement you know, is.
1: You know, I, I don't think you should retire from comics, but I do think maybe retiring from sponsorship uh, plugs might, <laughs> might be might be for the best. Well, uh, let me give you let me
0: give you an honest, honest thing about Wacom because uh, yeah. uh, I was, as you remember, I was laid up a few weeks ago because I had uh, really, really badly tweaked my ankle. And Wacom yeah. was there, the Wacom one was there to save the day for me and brad was uh, not too well over christmas break and the wacom one was there for him yeah
1: the portability is key i was so happy that i was because there was a couple of days that i just couldn't make it into the studio and i was so happy that i had this wacom one sitting right here in the house that i could fire up when i was feeling uh a little bit better to sit up and uh which which sounds much worse than it was <laughs> but uh I was so happy that I had this here so I didn't fall behind so I could still get a little bit of those creative uh, thoughts down. Uh, I'm telling you, the Wacom one is a lifesaver uh, as your main unit or as a satellite unit. It, you just you need one in your life uh, if you're doing this uh, professionally or pro-am it's, it's the best gift you can give for yourself.
0: And I got to tell you, uh, there is no better phrase than Brad describing something. If, if Brad ever describes you as your uh, that you're his main unit, boy, that's yeah. a great that's a great thing. <laughs> I wish I was Brad's <laughs> main unit. Uh,
1: that, that's uh, right. That was actually part of my wedding vows. <laughs> so
0: we give a shout out and a thank you to our friends. Welcome at WACOM.com, the makers of the WACOM One. And Bradley, we got kind of a big start for the show today because we're going to do predictions for 2022. Yeah. Uh, and Brad, jump us in. What is Brad Geiger's big predictions for 2022? So
1: I've got a number of things that I'm looking to happen in 2022. And the first, by the way, the first prediction I've already shared with you and, and I've already blown it. So I'll get this one off uh, out of the way right off the bat. Uh, and it, with each week that goes by, I, I'm still baffled. I would have predicted that uh, that uh, Kickstarter would have backed off of its blockchain decision by now. Uh, we talked about that yep. last show. Yep. 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 So I'll, I'll just say right out in front, that's a prediction that I would have blown. Here's here's a here's another prediction that I do have. Uh, however, I do predict that in the first quarter of 2022 uh, Patreon is going to come out with a, uh, Kickstarter clone and try to snap up some of that business.
0: Really? You really think that they're going to do, I highly disagree with you on that, but
1: I, you are strongly doubling down on that thought, huh? If they don't, they're crazy. I mean, this is, this is a, this is the time to have that. And quite frankly, nobody's in a better position, uh, to do it than Patreon. They've already got the trust. They've already got the user base. They've got to understand that. And don't forget, Dave, they had that venture capital money that they they, that that you're always kind of worried in the back of your head. I I am worried about that. Yeah, They've got to come through with that. What a wonderful pivot to their brand. Let's face it. Their their big attempt so far has been uh, merchandise. What what do they call it? Something for merchandise. Merch. Mm It, it, whatever merch, was. merch for members
0: i think they call it or merch something.
1: for a member it, horrible yeah. every time you do the math on it you're like oh my god this yeah. is the worst you Bad. get a
0: nickel your readers pay 48 dollars yeah, and patreon yeah. gets uh, 32 of it yeah exactly so
1: their their big push has never never really taken and for good reason it, yep. it isn't it isn't very good and they've got to know this if i sit here and know this they got to know that uh they've they've they this is an opportunity it's a golden opportunity it's a moment in time that kickstarter by the way could could survive all of this and come out fine but if if patreon struck while the iron is hot they could take such a uh a chunk out of their user base and they could build this whole new thing and then all they've got to do is run it well and uh, and boom, they've got their pivot and they they make that venture capital money happy.
0: Well, while I agree with you that I could see that that, that has high potential payoff in terms of the venture capital, pay, you know, or the return on investment on that. The thing you said that at the end that was almost dismissive was and if they run it well, yeah, that's where I get nervous because. Uh, it's very hard to do what they do, i.e. run Patreon on a day-to-day basis. That's harder yeah. than people think. There's a lot of moving parts to that in terms of regulatory uh, uh, you know, compliance, in terms of technog- technological uh, updates, in terms of uh, user base. All of that is tricky, tricky stuff. And it's not like they can just go, well, now we're doing projects as well. So projects yeah. by Patreon is our new... Uh, and like it's it's not as easy. That's why I think they might not do it because yeah. even though uh, Kickstarter is a little wounded right here there's still the 800 pound gorilla and it's a it's a big swing to suddenly do to announce projects by Patreon or whatever they're going to call it, you know?
1: By the way, I love projects by Patreon. I think they should use that. The only thing I'm going to say is that if they were making this up out of whole cloth, like they had to do with Merch for Membership, they had to make, they had to create that out of nothing. Then it would be difficult. But in this case, all they've got to do is take a look. Hey, how did Kickstarter solve this problem? Okay, we'll do that. How did they do this? We'll do that. All they've got to do is literally copy and paste all of the things that Kickstarter did and bring it in. It's not like this yeah. is uncharted territory. This is very much charted territory.
0: Yeah. I, well. So listen, I think it's a smart it's a smart prediction because I do think like you that Patreon is constantly trying to look at how to expand their return on investment for their investors, and I am still nervous that those investors are at some point going to clamp down on Patreon, yeah. and we're going yeah. we're all going to pay the price for it. But um, I'm not sure that Patreon themselves is ready in the midst of the pandemic to make a big swing like this. I don't I don't know if they have enough people in the office where they can brainstorm. Like it's not something you launch over Zoom, you know what I mean? Right. I, I don't right. I don't know if that makes sense. Like it's it's trickier to do certain big swings when when everyone's out of the office. But um but I do think that's an interesting thought and it's something to keep our eye on for 2022 which is Kickstarter stumble and the possibility that someone else could either start to build up their own existing proj- uh, uh, platform like Indiegogo or that uh, Patreon Uh, could could take a swing at it as well.
1: Yeah. Uh, So number two prediction is I'm going to right now, it seems like everywhere you look, it's cryptocurrency and NFTs. It's a big, big conversation. I'm going to predict that uh, that in 2022, you're going to see cryptocurrencies recede a little bit uh particularly nfts i think you're you're going to see the bubble burst on those we've talked about nfts i i'm not particularly uh very bullish on them i i don't think there's a there there uh mainly and i've said this before uh there's no economic scarcity it doesn't it doesn't comply with the basic laws of supply and demand uh, you cannot convince me that somebody's willing to pay for a receipt of a JPEG.
0: Oh, wait, you're talking uh, NFTs, not crypto. I'm sorry. I,
1: I think that the two are the two are very much connected. Sure, I sure. I think sure. NFTs were kind of built to get people to launch a cryptocurrency yes. account and yes. get used to using so cryptocurrency. Yeah. And by the way, it's very interesting because I've been talking about this with my kids. Uh, Did you know there's one thing that almost always happens with these NFTs? Uh, You'll get a headline that says this NFT sold for $10,000 and you see a piece of art that is absolutely horrible, right? It's always crappy, crappy art. And then you get your your nephew, in my case, uh, writing me and saying, hey, if that thing made $10,000, it's so bad. Could you imagine what you could do if you put an NFT up? And I'm like, that's exactly what they want you to say. Yep. Right. That's yep. that's why it's always terrible art that is that is <laughs> yeah. making these big headlines. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is my opinion, I think it's all manufactured. And I think the reason that they—it's uh, always terrible art—is to make people like you and me say, "Well, if that made ten thousand dollars, then mine is going to make twenty thousand dollars." Right, right, right. You know how you and I—you uh, know how you and I always talk about
0: how there are less professional cartoonists uh, in the United States than there are professional NBA players. Yeah, there's actually a surprisingly small number of professional cartoonists in the U.S. Right. right? What's interesting about NFTs is. There's actually a surprisingly small number of owned NFTs right now in in, uh, in existence. Uh, right. there, the number that I saw thrown around was something like four hundred thousand, and but there's been five point three million units of PlayStation Five, which is something that is known to be scarce quote unquote right like right. It, it's been hard to manufacture so that's the niche product is 5.3 million of the PlayStation 5 and yet 400,000 NFTs were so what i'm getting at is it's a lot of bluster of media bluster that i don't yeah. think is has yet to have any impact because i think like brad i think it's a lot largely a shell game and we have yeah. largely been manufactured to believe that these are have value that there that there's a market for them that things are moving and shaking when i think frankly it's a lot of shells being moved around of like oh yeah it's it's Bob paying a, a sock puppet account of Bob for his NFT of Bob's art that Bob then can sell to also another sock puppet of Bob's account. You know that like, I, right. I, I don't know. It just feels very manufactured to me. I, yeah. That's my opinion on it.
1: I I, I I I tend to agree with you. And uh, what my prediction is, I think you're going to see cryptocurrency recede a little bit. I don't think it's ever going to go away. I don't. I don't. No, wait, believe you're saying technology. cryptocurrency again. I don't think cryptocurrency well, is going away. Both they're both connected. But yeah. I. You're well, going to see NFTs I, you're much, much more dodgy NF- than. Yeah, you're going to see the NFT bubble burst. And I'm also going to say, along with that, you're going to see cryptocurrency receding because I think I think eventually as government agencies get involved in, you know, yep. checking out uh, cryptocurrency, that's going to recede. I don't think it's ever going to go away because I don't believe technology ever goes away. Yeah. I think it always mutates. It evolves. It gets used in different purposes and and, and different solutions. Uh, I don't think it's going to go away, but I, I, I think we're going to by the end of 2022 my prediction is nfts you're not going to hear a lot of talk about at all and cryptocurrency is going to recede uh significantly
0: yeah i uh, well the my other thing with crypto is that people always 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 underestimate the emotional and psychological importance of the federal deposit insurance corporation the fdic yeah. And there's a reason why after 1930, and again, in, in uh, what was it, 19, when the run on 90, the 90s, when my own bank, Washington Mutual, shit the bed, and I was like, oh, thank God for the FDIC. Yes. Like, there's yes. there's going to come a moment in crypto where people go, oh, shit, I have $100,000 in crypto, and it's all in trouble. I wish I had something like the FDIC. Uh, and so anyway... Well, yeah, it's already the happened. The
1: guys talk about crypto is what well, this no. is. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's already happened. You already see on Twitter people yeah. who say, hey, my account got hacked and I lost, you know, X thousands of right. dollars worth of, uh, of of NFTs and there's no way of getting it back. Right. Right. There's right. no one they can turn to. There's no agency. It's just, hey, you got hacked and now it's gone. Right. Uh, or even
0: when that one registry, what was it? Uh, I'm going to be misremember the facts, but like it was Mt. Gox or something that had a duplicate registry that then messed up the works for a couple of years there. Yeah. So, I mean, things can go wrong. And th- it, there's going to come a crisis moment where people wished that cryptocurrency had something like the FDIC. So, in the yeah. meantime, I'll be keeping my money in a bag. Thank you very take, much. Take, yeah,
1: take take a little bit of a, of a cautious approach. To yeah, this I don't stuff. want
0: 1930 all over again. So, I'm going to jump in with one of my predictions for, Ooh, uh, for 2022. So, I want to talk about how we've talked about this before, but do keep your eye. Uh, towards the end of 2022 about how things go with Substack because it's going to be fascinating to watch those people that stepped away from DC or Marvel and if that money, that guaranteed money that dries up from Substack, which Mm -hmm. we all heard through the grapevine was in sometimes in the six figures. If that check gets pulled back in the sense of like, well, we guaranteed you a year, now you're on your own. Watch how quietly people tiptoe back to Random House, Scholastic, DC, Marvel, and a new crop comes into Substack. Guys, I'm going to Substack because here's what's going to happen. Substack is going to try to recruit a whole new crowd using a Mm -hmm. whole new group of artists. And so if you see Brad or I suddenly go, we're going to Substack. It's because someone wrote us a $200,000
1: check and we're going to take it for a year. But
0: but what's going to happen is you're not going to see big announcements. You're just going to quietly see little projects being announced like, oh, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm doing my next book with DC again. I'm so excited to rejoin my old pals. It's like, yeah, Yeah. okay, no
1: shit, because you didn't get a $100,000 check from Substack this year, don't you think? Yeah, no, I, in fact, uh, that was my last prediction as oh, well. Was it? For oh, I'm this so segment. sorry. Yeah, I, t- I no, stepped on no, your no. toes. It, it, it works out perfectly because what I was going to say under this was that remember, we said when we talked about Substack that uh, you had to wait for 366 days right? In mm-hmm. a year and a day, mm-hmm. and then you could judge it. Well, day 366 is coming up quick and we're going to see exactly what you said, whether this was a, uh, a good experiment or a bad, these people right. that took the advance are now going to have to deal with stuff that you and I, Dave have been dealing with for several years now, when we converted to a crowdfunding slash Patreon driven uh, business model. And that was churn, now, what are you going to do? Churn. When people-
0: I like the way you said that
1: churn, <laughs> churn. Churn. Well, churn, sorry. And there's not a Patreon creator that doesn't know what I'm talking about. It's that yes. first of the month yes. Patreon yep, dip yep, when yep. a whole bunch of people, uh, can't, you know, cancel their pledge because listen, you don't, you, you never, you shouldn't expect a Patreon backer to back for years and years and years. They've got their own finances that they've got to be in control of. Right. And so first of the month people dip out then you got to kind of bring some more people in. Mm -hmm. You're always dealing with that in and out of, uh, of crowdfunding. Mm -hmm. And uh, now these people who let's face it, a lot of these people that we're talking about have never necessarily been in charge of their own business, right? They've always been working for publishers. Now they've got to, They've got to start to solve these problems that you and I have been solving for years. How do I bring those people back in after they went out? How do I deal with the churn? What do I, how do I position myself? There's a lot of questions they gotta be asking themselves mm-hmm. that they've never asked themselves before.
0: And as Brad and I always say, they being creative people, that's one of the best yeah. muscles you can have to jump yes. into business. But, so there will be people that, that figure it out quickly. They like, they, yes. you throw them in the pool, they learn how to swim immediately. There's other people that go straight to the bottom. And so it's gonna be interesting towards <laughs> <laughs> end of this year to see who's like. Well, I gave Substack a, a try, but it's back to DC for me. You know that kind of thing. So it's yeah. I, I'm I'm with Brad on this. I think that uh, you're going to see that some people go. Well, I'm not good at that. I don't know how to wear that hat. Right. Um. But you know what? Can I can I talk about that for a second, Brad? And and this, yeah. is, this is jumping gears from uh from talking about predictions. But I'm I'm currently doing fulfillment for my Kickstarter, right? And I'm yeah. in the midst of and and last night I had. I had um, some Willie Nelson playing, and I'm I'm fulfilling packages, right? And um, but and it occurred to me, one of the things that I love, actively love about being a web cartoonist, is that I basically get to live different lives. Yeah. And I'll tell you what yeah. I mean. In this moment where I'm doing a bunch of fulfillment, like I have to send out, God knows how many packages. Um, I'm basically living the life of someone who owns a small e-commerce bill, you know, a company. And look at me and yeah. I'm shipping out all my soaps and candles or whatever it is. I, yeah. So, What I'm getting at is I get to kind of walk different paths while being a cartoonist. You know what I mean? And yeah. and, and it's kind of like you and I were talking about a board, uh, board game that I want to design uh, for Drive. That's living a different life for a brief window. Yeah. And when you own and control your own business, you get to do stuff like that. And there's kind of a joy in being able to wear those different hats. So rather than look at it like a chore, it's kind of fun from time to time to be like, no, this is fun. I get to pretend that I'm a small business owner and I get to do all this fulfillment and that kind of stuff.
1: It's neat, I don't know, it's neat. I kind of like Kickstarter fulfillment days because it's, it's, it's a very different type of brain matter. It's a very yeah. different type of day that yeah. I go through. Uh, I, I kind of like the physicality of it. Yes, I like, It is very like,
0: physical. Yes.
1: Yeah. I like the packaging. Like, like, I mean, and for me, this is, this is a tangent on a tangent, but uh, when I was working my way through college uh, I was, I would come home and I would work in my, in the factory, That my dad worked at. It was a tool and die shop in in Michigan. And what I would work is shipping and receiving. And I just spent all day putting uh, uh, bushings and and little parts into boxes and shipping them all over. Uh, And it was it was it was kind of meditative. It was Uh, it was (laughs) meditative. (laughs) Meditative. It was meditative. I said it right. Meditative? It can't be meditative. <laughs> I was able to meditate, <laughs> and, but but now when I do uh, a, a fulfillment days for like a Kickstarter or something, it's kind of like I I get back in touch with that, and yeah, and I and yeah. I like I like planning out my box. I like making sure that it's yeah. uh, taped right, making sure that the seams, everything about it appeals to my obsessive nature. <laughs> and, and I love doing it. And then, and then, but if I did it you know, all the time, all every day, every day, every day, it would it would get uh, ridiculous. But I get a little bit of it, and then I go back to doing something else. You're right. Uh, in this life that we lead lets us be different people for little yes. uh, spans of time on end. And it's, and it's and if you learn to enjoy that, then you're getting the most out of it.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, with apologies for distracting the topic, I think there's a there is a joy to being able to wear different hats for yeah. little windows of time as a web cartoonist. So anyway, uh, back to predictions for 2022. I think we will see in in summer and in fall of 2022, a very hesitating, tentative reopening of Comic-Cons in the US and Canada, is my opinion. But here is my bigger prediction for probably the next two years. You're going to see a lingering hesitancy for a noticeable percentage of the population to not go to, and both that's both cartoonists and the crowd itself to not yeah. go to conventions. So yeah. I, I uh, even though I currently am signed up for San Diego Comic Con, I'm going to have a big hesitancy recommendation for comic conventions. Not necessarily for disease, but because the money made from conventions, I'm going to. I'm pretty strongly going to say my prediction is it's not going to be great for the next two years or so. Uh, I think you're right. Because of hesitancy uh, amongst the wider population. Brad, what are your thoughts on that?
1: No, I, I agree 110% on that. And and that's probably going to mean that a lot of us are going to be doing a lot more, uh, uh, you know, projects to, to make yes. up for that yes. kind of thing. And it's going to be very interesting to see how we pull. I, by the way, this is my last uh, quote unquote prediction, and it's not a prediction. I honestly don't know how we're going to come out on the other side of the paper shortages, the printing snarls and the shipping. Uh, That's a big question mark for 2022. And it's going to become significant for people like you and me, because as 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 we stop doing things like comic conventions, you're going to be looking for a couple of other projects uh, to crowdfund and make up for that revenue. And that means that we're going to be uh, very much affected by how all of those shortages shake out. And I don't think we're on the other side of it yet.
0: No. And and that will tie in with another prediction of mine, which is the continued growth of the user base of Patreon. And I think, frankly, more artists are going to be jumping on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, and not in an exponential curve kind of way. I think in a steady, slow and steady, uh, you know, uh, graphing. Uh, but... I think most, more and more artists are going to realize that their traditional streams, like conventions, or like printing, or this or that, whatever their individual industries pr- traditionally had, they're mm-hmm. going to say, no, you know what, digital, is, digital distribution, digital uh, sharing of my art is the best way, and one of the best ways to supplement that right now is Patreon. So you're going to see that continue to grow at a slow and steady pace.
1: Absolutely. So those are our predictions for 2022. Uh, will they come true? We, you're gonna have to. You're gonna have to keep listening to this podcast because, uh, as we've already proven, uh, a, a lot of times, like my prediction on Kickstarter was wrong right out of the gate. Uh, but the one thing that you can know for sure is that we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about all of these things and more. As the year goes on
0: well, One quick thought Did we have predictions For 2021? I would love to go back And listen to that Because it's going to be like think... Well see you later COVID It's gone for you Now that we've got <laughs> Now that we've got vaccines So oh, it's, gone. it's oh. all
1: bright and beautiful Now that you mention it Maybe we're going to have to do A 2021 uh, prediction Recap. review show Yeah Because I think we did Do a prediction show We'll have to see How close we came I'll tell you what I don't want to review 2021 To hell with it I want to no. never rem- I want to get no. past
0: it I want to go on To a brighter day in
1: 2022 it's got it's it's got to get better soon <laughs> i know i know oh my goodness Hey, if you're listening while you work, take a minute to
0: stand and stretch.
1: And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do,
0: you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers.
1: And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And
0: access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists.
1: So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning.
0: And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries.
1: Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That,
0: along with mentions
1: on social media, is incredibly helpful.
0: Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Brad, a mid-show update for everybody. Uh, We're coming up into uh, spring of 2022, and spring, oh boy! In the near future, Bradley, it's going to be twenty-five years of Sheldon online. Ooh, holy moly! I realized five uh, years is
1: a milestone.
0: We're not there yet. It's going to actually yeah. be twenty twenty-three. Is is yeah. the the twenty-fifth year? But it made me realize twenty-five years not a short amount of time to be doing Sheldon, uh, considering that uh, the length of Bloom County, the length of Calvin Hobbes, the length of Far Side—they all gave up the ghost around the ten or fifteen-year point. Yeah, And we're still plugging away, Brad, into the 20s. And part of that is, I think, is the benefit of being able to set our own schedules, the benefit of being able to be flexible as web mm-hmm. cartoonists in a way that syndicated cartoonists were never allowed to be. They had to put out content seven days a week, 365 days a year, no vacations until yeah. Doonesbury and, and, and Bill Watterson made that so. Um, and so I think that had a bigger potential for burnout than we can do. Oh you know? yeah,
1: because you could only be a Doonesbury or a Calvin and Hobbes uh, creator to take a vacation. All, all those people yeah. doing like Brian Bassett, or you know the the, the, the uh, Marmaduke, right? Uh, they didn't they didn't take any vacations, and 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 I don't know that that was the best way to get the best work out of out of people. Was was those situations? Uh, my question for you, Dave. It, is do you ever think you're going to do one of those big anthology books? Like twenty five is is one of those numbers that people tend to hit. Would there? Would you ever consider doing a retrospective and an anthology of twenty five years of Sheldon? I, I the
0: truth is I don't know. in a, In an ideal world, I would love to do a best of book. Because yeah. I'm I'm at a, an interesting point career-wise, we might as well talk about this for a second. Um, yeah. in this last drive Kickstarter campaign, I basically sold out of my last Sheldon collection. So books one through 10. I most of the collections are gone. I have like yeah. 20 of book three, 30 of book four, what you know, it doesn't matter what the numbers are, but very few, very few numbers left of, you know, books that used to take up my storage space. Yeah. And um so the question is, do I now put a, a hat on top of that entire period and do a best of book? Which is an interesting question for you. Mm-hmm. Or do I do a huge anthology? And the truth is, the Sheldon books have had kind of a diminishing return over the last five to seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying they're not worth the effort, but there's there has been a noticeable diminishment of what they can bring in um, versus what Drive can do. And so I don't know. I'm, I turn the question back to you. What do you think I should do?
1: Ooh, I don't know. So I, it's, it's interesting. Part of me loves that idea of those. Like we've seen people do it. Like Scott uh, Kurtz has done it. Uh, Danielle has done it mm-hmm. where they do these big, heavy black and white books of here's, you know, 25 years, here's 50 years of, or 50, I don't think we've hit that yet, but here's, here's this big chunk of work. And part of me likes that idea of having a book with everything, just literally everything. Uh, It might be, it might might not be full color for obvious reasons, uh, but you've got this, this, uh, this, this completionist part of me really loves the idea of having that uh, on the other hand, uh, you could you could make a more beautiful book. You could mar- make a more interesting book if you took the best of route. You could right. go to a color printing Then yeah. you could. You, and, and also, you know, like for people like you and me, uh, it's 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 like, OK, we've done so many different things now. When you get when you take Sheldon and Drive and things like the anatomy books and, <laughs> and all of those other things that you've done. How do you put that all in one book? How do you put Sheldon comics in the same book as a drive? Book? Well, yeah, do you, you don't, it, don't, I don't, you know? I don't think you do. It's just, yeah. it, it, so, so you're never going to, my point though is, so you're never going to really have a completionist book because there's no way of completely uh, capturing everything you've done. <laughs>
0: Brad, there's no book can contain Dave Kellan. Well, I can I contain multitudes, Brad. There's no you right. can't you can't capture me in a book. Yes, no. <laughs> yes, on all counts. Yes, on all counts. No, so if yeah. you're if
1: you're gonna step away from the from that completionist idea, which might not be a good fit for people like you and me, yeah. then you go to the best of and you say here here's the best moments of uh, uh, of the last 25 years. I hope you enjoy them, and I think there'd be some legs to that.
0: With, okay, so yeah, that's an interesting question. Like I don't know, uh, there is perhaps a continuing long tail sales possibility for a best of book. People, in a way that I think is good, respond well to a best of book because they're like, okay, th- I'm only getting the gems, so why not buy this one? You know that. Kind yeah. Of thing. However, yeah. it's tricky to introduce somebody to a comic with a best of book. You know what I mean? Like that. Now, there's a lot of people that are like I don't want to jump in on the best in book. I, I, yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know. It's um. Like, would you label, would you label it as a best of Sheldon or? Yeah. You would, I would you would well, say 25 I, I, years
1: of the best of Sheldon or? I, I, okay. So for me, I would be 25 years of the best of Dave Kellett. And then you bring all of that stuff. Oh, you in. would
0: say all of it. What you would yeah. say? Really?
1: Yeah. Why not? Why not? Okay. So take a look at one of my, one of my favorite books that I've got on my bookshelf at the studio is I've got a retrospective of the art of uh, Harvey Kurtzman. Yeah. Right now you take a look at that guy. He kind of was, it was the person that was the creative force behind mad magazine, but he also did a whole, uh, a bunch of other stuff and it's right. all beautiful in its own right. Uh, I, I, but I, I I like the fact that I see all of these different facets of Harvey Kurtzman in that book. I think it's a great book. Uh, I, why limit yourself? Why not have here are some of the best yeah. moments from Drive. Here are some of the best anatomy uh, cartoons that I did. I, you know, I, I would. I, and but by the way, what an interesting book to page through because you've got yeah. uh, surely the maybe a, a big chunk of it. Maybe the lion's share would be Sheldon Comics. Uh, but there would be so many different ways that you could chop that up. It, 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 also, the way you've done with your books, you could have a chapter of just the best Pugs uh, comics, a chapter of the best coffee comics. You know, there's True. There's a lot of different ways that you could organize that. Yeah. That would make it an interesting look at your career over the last twenty five years. Uh,
0: maybe I, I personally feel like I, li- I don't get me wrong. I like me. I like my career. I think that that's an unsatisfying read of of like. Here's all, here's everything Dave Kellett's done in 25 years. Like even I kind of don't give a shit about that book in in the sense of like, if I don't care, how can I expect other people to care? Um, I think, I think there is an argument for a best of Sheldon book. I do Uh agree with you there. I don't think there's an argument for a best of Dave Kellett book. That's different Uh, Uh, because no one, no one cares about me per se. They either like Sheldon or they like drive or they like the anatomy.
1: I didn't didn't necessarily care a whole lot about Harvey Kurtzman until my in-laws got me that book. Okay, well. I mean, I knew him. I knew him. I knew the word. I knew the man. I knew little bits about him, but yeah. I never really cared. Yeah, yeah.
0: I will say this, though, one, because we got kind of glossed over it. Both Brad and I very quickly got away from the all-inclusive anthology. And we didn't say it, but I, I think we should speak to this. My history of both people that I know and people that I've talked to that did one, there's not a single person that put out one of those anthologies that said, Oh, it was worth all the effort <laughs> <laughs> or, or the, either monetarily or emotionally. Do you Brad am, yeah. am I wrong there? Has oh, anyone that we know no. that has put together one of those anthologies? Do they say, yep, it was worth the time and the effort. I'm so happy I did it.
1: I've never heard Danielle talk about her anthology uh, specifically. I do know that as Scott, Kurtz has been, you know, building these books, these right. anthologies there. And he's spoken about this openly on on Twitter. Some of his humor did not age well. Right. There's some yeah. takes that he had that now he's like, oh, you know what? I'm a different person now than I was when I wrote that joke. I don't know that I necessarily want that as part of it. And then you've got to decide, well, if you're doing an anthology or if you're doing a complete right, history, right, is right. it complete without the warts, uh, and all part of it? Uh, so that's been, I think, uh, without putting words in his mouth, a painful, uh, process as well. Uh, no, to, 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 to your point, Dave, uh, I, I don't know that I've ever heard, uh, anyone necessarily say, boy, this was a great idea. <laughs>
0: well, and and also, uh, this is maybe more psychology than people want, but uh, I don't know that I want to, wallow is not the right word, but I don't want to wallow in the past. I don't yeah. want to swim through 25 years of my work and have to <sighs> have to get every file ready from 1999 or 2003. I don't give a shit about past, Dave. I want to do the future stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, I I don't, I don't know that I care about my own past enough to create the all-inclusive, everything Dave Kellett's ever produced, because I know that that cartoon from two thousand three that I did on that Tuesday that I was sick and I didn't want to even cartoon that day. It's not worth the effort to prepare that file to make sure that it's in the book because it's not that much of a sparkling gem, you
1: know. I don't well, know. And yeah, and there's so much like it's just my own work. Uh, I think about like how much if, if then you got to go into the whole color versus black and white thing. Yeah. And, and how, if you take a, a, a comic that was produced for color and now you're presenting it in black and white, how much is getting lost? How much actual, like like a lot of stuff, uh, you could take uh, Alex's colors off my comic and it's not the same comic anymore.
0: Yeah, and also I know this is the case with you because it's the case with me. Beth will sometimes open up a 10 year old file that I did in, uh, in 2012, right? And she'll be like, what the hell did you do? What are these layers, and why? And what yeah. I'm getting at is, over a 25 year career, there's been some weird ways that I prepped files or that I that I did. And so, in <laughs> yeah. doing an anthology, you have to open up every bad version of every bad file that you've ever created and go, "Well, I got to make this work as a high res TIFF for print now." Now What am I going to do? Now, what am I going to do? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Ooh. I. So anyway, to 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 put a cap on that, the reason why Brad and I quickly stepped away from that is I think that we both intuit that's not a fun project. And I don't I I don't know that even it's financially worth it for all the work that it would take. It would take me a long time to put together 25 years of comics.
1: Now let's go down the business side of this. Now you've got a huge book. It's a huge ass book. Shipping. It costs a lot to make. It costs a lot to ship. It's a chunk, right? It's it's gonna be several pounds that you're shipping. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. it's a book that let's face it, not every one of your readers followers fans are going to want right like they might want the best of drive they might want the best of Sheldon. do they want every sheldon comic ever that's a that's a that's a niche of your of a niche. audience. Yeah, a yeah. niche of a niche. It's, it's, yeah. it's a percentage of people from even the people who are really big Dave Kellett fans. They've got to sit there and they're like, "Do am I so much of a Dave Kellett fan? And I'm just going to make my numbers up here that I want to put $100 into a 20 pound book. Right, right, right. right. Maybe not. Maybe you, you, you've got, you, now you've created this huge thing that only a very small number of people actually mm-hmm. want, which mm-hmm. is not a great business plan.
0: No, no. And uh, you, you need a, a, a big, big use, a big starting user base to make that work. And yeah. uh, as we've talked about in the past, and I have no problem admitting it, I don't have a huge user base. But what yeah. I do have is a good way to monetize the the user base that I do have, such that I can make a career and have an employee. But I don't have enough of a user base that they want to plunk down a hundred bucks on a best of and now yeah. you as a listener might be individually saying, "I do, Dave. I'd love to have a best of." Yeah. But let me just tell you that both Brad and I our business intuition is there's not enough of you individual yeah. to to make <laughs> that, that book worthwhile. So, I do think Brad's idea of a best of is is good. I don't yeah. know, Brad, that I like the best of Dave Kellett for 25 years. And I don't know, I don't know that I can quantify why I don't like that.
1: What if there was what if? what if there was four books? The Best of Drive, The Best of Sheldon, The Best of the Rest. 3 books.
0: No, no. I immediately I immediately go no to that. I don't know I don't know you know what it is? Cuz for me, the anatomy books stand alone. You either have them or you don't. You don't need to have them yeah. incorporated into another book. Drive as a story, it's like it's like sharing one page of the Hobbit and going, "The Best of JRR Tolkien." Yeah. Remember no, that when right. he fought the you're trolls? Right. That was a fun scene. <laughs>
1: Right. <laughs> here's here's the best of those tree chapters where he talked about trees for several pages on end Here's just Kham Bombadil All right, keep it's going. harder. It's harder to do a best of drive. You're right. So that brings you right back to the best of Sheldon. Yeah, I hate I hate for 25 year. I hate for that milestone to go by without something though. That's a big milestone. And I, I mean, just speaking, and, and part of this is projecting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I passed the 20 year milestone uh, for. Evil Ink, And I was like, I should have done something about that. I really, I, I always feel like I missed the the play on that. I, I, I didn't take advantage of that. Man. Yeah. So some yeah, yeah, of yeah. this is projecting that here's, here's your next big milestone. Uh, if not a publication, what would you, what would you do to mark that? Let's cause let's face it. Not a lot of people get to that. Not a lot of people are ever going to get to that. Right. You are a part of that is, is marketing and branding too. Part is, This is an opportunity to say something about yourself as a creator. How do you not let that moment go by?
0: I I, I don't know. So part of this is me asking you as a friend. I've got a year to figure this out. When I get to 25, how do I market? And maybe I do do... A slim best of. Uh, that's you know. <laughs> by slim, I mean one hundred and thirty pages. What? 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 What?
1: You're, you're so your your Catholicism just came out through there. Okay, I'll do a best of, but a slim one. <laughs> you're so you're so afraid. <laughs> Oh, that was the that was the just the tip of publishing. <laughs> I'll, I'll do a best of okay, best but of a slim one. But I don't want you to friend. think that a whole lot of my comics are the best. So maybe maybe a pamphlet. Maybe maybe four. Maybe it's okay if I have four best <laughs> oh, God. I'm laughing
0: because you called me on the right one on that like. Yeah. Yes, I'll do a best of, but in discrete colors. It'll be
1: yes. it'll be wrapped in a brown bag. That's <laughs> I don't want to be showy about it. <laughs> oh, your, your, your Catholicism just came shining through.
0: <laughs> oh God, that's funny. Yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't want to brag about me. Let's just... yeah, yeah.
1: Oh, it, was so just, was, it was the number so twenty-five beautiful. will be
0: in like 4 We'll have it very small. <laughs>
1: oh my god oh yeah my well god. that there you go 25 pages for 25 years you can just have one comic for the, this is the, was the best man. comic for the whole year and if, if it makes you feel better six of the pages can be blank
0: i'll put it out as a 25 page pdf for 25 cents that's what i'll do yeah <laughs> keep it real discreet oh god that's funny you really got me on that um yeah so it's interesting i have a year left to figure out what i'm going to do for 25 and because a part of me and this is a this is an ongoing thing is that the return on investment for Sheldon is uh, uh, self-acknowledgingly slowly yeah. diminishing. So I don't know if I wrap it up at 25 years. It's one of those questions that I come to every now and again. Yeah. Um, or, do I, or do I say, hey, it's been a nice 25 years. I'm perfectly happy with the output uh, amount that I'm doing for Sheldon now. I Ooh. still physically enjoy doing it. I, I need that outlet of a comic that can allow for any idea on any topic. Which yes. drive does not, you know, right? And to some extent, in, even 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 Evil Ink doesn't for you, right? Um, is that you still do single panels from time to time, or or a slow runner of a weeks where the jokes, uh, in a in a sort of standalone way? Because we find that it's that long storm fory, story format is not the perfect outlet for any and all types of ideas. Which for me, Sheldon is, yeah. So anyway, too much hemming and hawing on this. It's just fun to say it's coming up for me twenty five years. I solicit any ideas from folks on how I discreetly acknowledge that I had 25 (laughs) years of Sheldon.
1: Well, as Dave struggles with his ego... uh, (laughs) Boy, you and I have very different problems when it comes to ego. I just realized that. <laughs> mine is too much. Mine is I mine is like, hey, here's oh. a thousand Brad Geiger books. Now read them all. No, no, don't get <laughs> me wrong.
0: I, I like myself very much, and I have no problem saying that I'm very proud of my, of my career. And you've seen me at Comic Cons. Nobody can outsell oh, yeah. me in terms of selling no. my own work. You're I just, right about that. There's there's a there's a <laughs> there's a process that I have to go through to build myself up promoting myself. So that's what it is. That's what it is.
1: Well, as Dave goes through his process, let's go through the process of answering a question from one of our Patreon yes. backers. This one comes in from Adonis. You remember Adonis, don't I you? I do. Adonis, thank you for writing in every time. We love it. This one comes in from Adonis who says, I've been working on the writing for my comic and constantly find myself going back to thinking what the character would actually do in certain situations. What techniques do you perform to get to know your characters better? How fleshed out and close to being people are they before you start writing for them? As always, thank you for working on this podcast as well as sharing your passions, even if it does involve a questionable fascination for crows. Thank you, Adonis, for that. So so here's, here's what Adonis is doing. He's writing this story, but then he gets hung up because it's like, would the character actually do this?
0: Okay, so a couple of things to start off with. One, uh, as you're starting a story, I find it very helpful to create a character Bible. And for yeah. those not familiar with it, a character Bible, can, can, by the way, it can be literally a half a page in a notebook. It doesn't need to be anything special. Just mm-hmm. like, how where were they born? What were the conditions of their childhood? What's their general outlook on life? If you had to summarize their psychology in four or five words, what would it be, right? Just so you know their character, you can flip back to that page in the Bible every once in a while and remind yourself of of their worldview, their outlook, their their psychology, all that sort of stuff. That's stage one. Uh, Stage two, I will have to say for the characters that I've truly loved in a story, something about the way they speak, the way they think, the way they act, either rings true or doesn't. And it's hard for me to quantify that in a helpful way for others to say that, oh, Nosh would do this, a ca- Nosh is a character of mine, Nosh would right. do this, Nosh would not do that. I know yeah. it almost intuitively at this point, but it's hard to quantify for other people what the limitations are, right? right? And then the third part of that question is, how do I get a character to actually do a thing? Well, if it's a moment in your story where to you, Uh, it seems like they would not do this. This is not something they would do, but you need that to happen in the story. Well, here's where your writer uh, toolkit comes in handy because you've written yourself into a corner. Now you write yourself out of the corner. So Mm -hmm. if I need my character of Brad Geiger to jump out of a window, but I've written him as a logical, reasonable person who has good self-preservation obviously he would not choose to jump out of a window. That's not something Brad Geiger would do. But if I wrote it where, uh, so now knowing that, knowing that I need the story to have my character of Brad Geiger jump out a window, but but knowing that he is a character that would not do that thing. Now I've written myself in a corner, the way I write my way out of it is, okay, how do I change the situation such that the parameters of his decision make more sense within the realm of his psychology? So now, okay, now there's a fire behind Brad in the room. He's got to jump out that window, right? Right. Or Brad's kids are in danger outside. He might break his ankle, but he's got to go save his kids. So he jumps out the window, right? You get where I'm going with this is that you make your character do the thing because external circumstances have gotten to a point where, uh, within the, the rationality of their being, they've made that decision work. Brad, what do you think about that?
1: Absolutely. And I think as with many things in in the art side of what we do, uh, it, it's a question of degree. In other words, what Dave says about intuitively knowing who your character is and, and learning about this through doing things like story Bible exercises and stuff like that, that's very important. On the other hand, the other side of that is not to go so far where you are constantly uh, upsetting your creative process. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Uh, I, I don't ever get into a situation where I'm so worried about, would this character actually do this, that I prevent myself from writing the story I need to read uh, at the end of the day. You know, what story do I want to read at the end of the day? Uh, uh, let me put it i don't I don't think I'm explaining it well, so i'm gonna I'm gonna try this angle. Great stories were never made by characters making good decisions.
0: Oh, that's a good angle. That's a good angle. Yes.
1: Sometimes your character uh, has to make bad decisions, and you've got to come up with good reasons for them to make bad decisions. and And you're sitting there saying, like, there's two different ways I can read that sentence. Would my character actually do this? On one hand, what Dave just described is absolutely right. My character is a logical person. So uh, I can't have them doing certain things that are irrational because it's not going to make sense. That's, that's, that's perfectly good, except every now and again, you need a logical person to make an illogical choice for the betterment of the story. And you've got to figure out how to do that. And if you're so wound up with, ah, I, this, this character would not do that. Well then, you're preventing yourself from writing the story that needs to be written. You've got to you've got to give your freedom to let your character make bad choices for good reasons, right? You've got to come up with a reason right. for it to happen, like Dave said. You light the room on fire, or you you make something happen that it's it's necessary to jump through that window. uh in all. Uh, I want the more time you spend into figuring out who your character is and, and knowing them, the less time you're going to worry about this. Mm-hmm. But in general, in general, I want you to spend more time worrying about what's the best story. Not, the story not necessarily right. what would the, I, I in other words, if you're if you're coming down between character and story. I want you to write the better story, even if it means writing something that that character maybe wouldn't have done. Right. Does that make sense? I want the story to be good
0: you're saying put primacy on the, on moving the plot forward, making the story interesting rather than like always being true to the character. Always right. got to make it because to Brad's point, if someone is always making a rational decision is always doing the right thing. It's a pretty boring yeah.
1: story. Usually, you know, that kind of thing. And chances are, if you've got a protagonist, they're going to be that kind protagonist, of person. Oh my God.
0: The Midwest on you came out so much when you said protagonist that no a has done as much work as protagonist there. Oh, <laughs> A protagonist? If you a protagonist, he's going to have a sausage and he's going to say, hey, where's my brats to go with my protagonist? Oh my goodness. Uh, that was amazing. You were speaking so Philadelphia for a minute and then all of a sudden, okay, so now you're going to want to send your protagonist. Oh God, I don't know why that made me laugh so much. Okay, uh, It's funny, my
1: Midwest comes out just a word at a time these days.
0: <laughs> so let's look at this another way too, is that if you have a cast of characters, now listen, if you have yeah. uh, a single character and they're moving through a story arc it gets a little trickier but let's say you get to a plot point or a a twist uh, and you need a certain series of events to happen and you have six characters in the story another option you can do is that if you know that character a will not have a satisfying reaction to the situation well, then bring in mm-hmm. character B and let them react to it. You know what I mean. Yeah. Run through the cast of characters in your mind and say, "Oh no, no, no. B would have a much funnier, more interesting, or more uh, you know, uh, dramatic." Uh, interplay with a series of events than A would so I will use yeah. B. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Star Trek has a cast of very different characters because external event comes in, oh no, it's this yeah. weird alien and now do you have Picard happen uh, react to it? Do you have Geordi ha- react to it? Do you have Data? Those are all very different reactions and so you use whatever their character moments would present as the best story plot and 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 go from there. So it's not always Picard taking the lead. Sometimes it's Worf with his emotional you know, battle reactions and he's got to react to it. Right. Sometimes it's the logic of data, and that's why that's what makes Star Trek so fun. Is you can bring in different characters to react to the very same event. You can do that in your cartooning.
1: Absolutely. Uh, just just as a quick tangent, are you watching uh, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks? On uh, I think it's on the Paramount Plus channel. I am not. I'm not. We go ahead and give. I you think I, I'm going to tell you just as a tangent. I think it's uh, uh, in my top three Star Trek iterations ever. And that's uh, the original series, Next Generation, and Lower Deck. Really, I cannot, I, I cannot remember a better Star Trek. Ah, oh, it's chef's kiss, wonderful, and it's and it's a comedy, which helps. But it's also really good storyteller, really good uh, character development. I, I want you to watch it because I want to discuss it with you.
0: Okay, I, yeah, in in large part, I, I a little bit feel like um, the newer Star Trek, which one is the Discovery? Uh, Discovery. I had, such, I had such great hopes for it, and I like aspects of it, but I kind of think they lost the thread on what Star Trek is, which which Ooh, is
1: yeah. Well, the se- I love the first season. The second season, I watched the first few episodes, and it kind of kind of dragged for me, and, and I I dropped off, and then I need to need to jump back in because I really enjoyed the first season.
0: Yeah, it's it's funny. You'll get a thousand opinions from different uh, Star Trek people about uh, I don't know if it's Trekkies yeah. or Trekkers. What's what's the accepted term now? But uh, anyway, the the final thought that I want to give to Adonis on this question is um, remember that you can move your story along. Uh, Take a page out of Homer with the Odyssey in that Odysseus might have reacted in a rational, normal way. He was just trying to get home. But Homer yeah. kept throwing shit at him, right? And so yeah. it's not like Odysseus chose bad islands to land on. They needed food and <laughs> they needed water. So, you know, they land on this island. Weird shit happens. But Odysseus is yeah. doing his best. He's reacting rationally or as much as he can react rationally. But the story moves along because Homer puts him in situations that he has to react like a dipshit sometimes, you know? Right. And so yeah. you can do that as a creator too, which is you can have a character who is acting rationally acting normal. But, you know, then the economy goes uh, to to hell or his family dies or or her job is lost or whatever it is. And and as a result, they're making irrational decisions. To Brad's point, then the story is more interesting because suddenly uh, it's someone at their breaking point. It's someone that's not making the best decisions. That's where stories get interesting.
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna see if I can put a capper on this by really summing what my thoughts are. There's two mistakes that you could make as a writer. Okay. You could write a character that's that that isn't quite true to its character, or you could write a story that isn't a very interesting story. And I think the readers will forgive the first, but they'll never forgive the second. Oh, right? what do you mean? So, elaborate on that. So, if you write if if you're so wound up with, would this character actually do it, that you're not writing a good story uh, that then the, the your readers will not forgive that because the story's no yeah. good. Uh, but it, so in other words, if you write a bland story that's absolutely note perfect, true to the character, it's still a bland story, right? you right. could you could make that character do something that's a little out of character. And if you write a good story, your readers are going to forgive it. But if you're true to the character, absolutely perfectly true and write a bland story, the readers are going to say that was a bland story. N- no one's ever going to read a bland story and say, yeah, but the character was right on. The character never did anything that was out of character right. for that person. right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying is, is err on the side of writing a good story. Let, allow I, yeah. yourself, if you're going to make a mistake either way, make a mistake that makes the better story.
0: Uh, you agreed. I, I think that's one of the strongest points that, that you've made. Yeah, I, I really do think err on the side of the story. And yeah. also establish a world where your characters, is hopefully being imperfect people. it's It's very possible that they could have made a mistake. They could have yeah. deviated from who they normally are. We all, every once in a while, you, you find yourself in your own day going, well, that was a dumb thing to do. Why did I do that? It's oh, because we make mistakes. We make bad choices. Your characters do too. So it's okay if they deviate from who they quote unquote are, if yeah. you can ascribe it to a mistake or a blip in their, uh, in their decision-making. Uh, that's also possible. But I think Brad's, uh, the strongest point is, is the one we should go out on, which is err on the side of the story rather than on the side of the character.
1: Well, speaking of making mistakes and having errors in judgment, you've been listening to Comic Lab for another hour. And how you let it get this far, I have no idea. <laughs> You're going to have to look into your own decision making for that. But until then, I get to tell you that you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics.
0: Your host have been my friend Brad Geiger, who over the years has gotten better and better at these outros. Uh, what a transition that was. That was smooth as butter. I got to tell you, he is the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com.
1: And my good friend, the older, wiser, and uh, uh, downright better in all ways, Dave Kellett, co-director of the comics documentary Stripped, and the cartoonist of Sheldon at sheldoncomics.com and drive at drivecomic.com.
0: And just a reminder that our sponsor today are the good folks at Wacom at WACOM.com, makers of the Wacom One. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at theworldrecord.net. And this episode was edited by our pal Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media.
1: If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and look for the review function on Spotify, where we are uh, making great inroads uh, towards building our community. Rocketing
0: up the charts is the phrase that the kids use. And you may hear your review
1: featured on a future episode.
0: And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. So we'll go ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab.
1: Marge. I've got the new all Catholic version of the best of Dave Kellett's 25 years. It's a, it's a six page fold out pamphlet and uh, three of the pages are blank. I I don't know whether I got the right, did I get the right book here? (laughs)
0: And the other one is just a discreet fo- photo of him kind of smiling, kind of not smiling. He's yeah. not trying to make a show of himself.
1: Yeah, he's, 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 he's actually standing behind a plant. It was run off the <laughs> church <laughs> mimeograph machine. <laughs> I haven't seen a mimeograph in, in 25 years either. That's just, this is amazing. I can still smell that mimeograph smell.
0: There is one comic presented, but underneath it, there's a bit of a inscription text that says, maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't. No big deal if you don't. You don't have to like it. It's fine. If you don't, I, it's fine. You know, I
1: I always like these director's cut books where they have the cartoonists <laughs> having commentary, but Dave's commentary is always the same underneath every comic. Sorry. Oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did what I could. I did what I could. <laughs>